Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Bleeding Green Nation, and welcome back to another edition of Eye on the Enemy, powered by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I'm your host, John Stolness. You can follow me on Twitter, at John Stolness. And coming up, we're going to talk to Greg Bishop, a fantastic writer for Sports Illustrated. He wrote the cover story for the NFL preview issue, which, of course, is a profile on Eagles quarterback Jalen Hurts. So uh, we'll dig into what Jalen Hurts told him. And uh, it was a really good story about kind of what how Jalen operates and, and what he's all about. So we'll dive into that coming up here on this edition of the podcast. Plus, some other news from around the NFL and with the Eagles having wrapped up their final preseason game, uh, the Jonathan Taylor trade talks, and uh, what are the Arizona Cardinals doing right now? All that coming up here on this edition of Eye on the Enemy. Well, we had Greg Bishop from Sports Illustrated on the Eye on the Enemy podcast a few months ago. Uh, I think it was right before the Super Bowl uh, to get his thoughts on the Philadelphia Eagles taking on the Kansas City Chiefs. And he is back here on this episode of the podcast because he has the NFL preview cover story this year. And Jalen Hurts, of course, on the cover. Most of you have probably already seen the issue. But if you haven't, um, it's a great cover and it's a great story that Greg wrote about Jalen Hurts. And so we're going to talk to him a little bit about it here. Greg, thanks for coming back on Eye on the Enemy. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me again. I don't often get invited back places, so this is nice. <laughs> That's not true, but I appreciate you saying that. And um, it, it was a really well-written piece. It just gave us such a good insight into who Jalen Hurts is, kind of what makes him tick, because we see everything on the field, and you can see the drive. And, you know, we, we've we talked before, you and I, and, and everyone has talked before about all the intangibles that Jalen Hurts brings to the table. But uh, I don't think you really get a true sense for how driven the guy is in, until you, you read this article, or I guess, or until you talk to him. And the first thing that came to mind and you have this in the in the title of your piece so that you use the word intentionality you say that hertz is the most intentional superstar in sports what does that mean yeah you know i i think it's a really interesting question in part because we debated it a lot internally you know there was a thought when i filed my first draft not to get too nerdy writer on you here that i had used it in too many different ways <laughs> but to me that was sort of the point like everything that Jalen does has a point to it. Mm. And that could be as simple as like how he wants to do the interview with me. Like, is he going to be open? Like it, it took me several times meeting with him before, you know, it seemed like we had a little bit more of a comfort level and he was able to open up in a way that I think was a little more distinct. Mm. And, you know, but it also could be like, I spent Oklahoma, I was at his graduation day at Oklahoma with him and, I don't think we said more than 10 words to each other. And that was intentional on my part because I wanted to see what he did rather than hear what he had to say. And I thought that was just as revealing as anything that he might say to see him in a natural environment. But then you look at like each year he targeted something different in terms of improvement. To me, that's very intentional. Mm -hmm. I thought it was surprising that he said 
that he left Howie Roseman to do his job, which may not sound that surprising on its surface, but like very few NFL quarterbacks would use the word sovereignty for one and two would allow the GM to just do what they're paid a lot of money to do, which is build great teams around these guys. And, you know, I think when you add all these things up to me, it maybe, maybe I did take it a little too far, but I kind of like the idea of, of these things are very different, but they all speak to the same thing. And when you add them all up to me, they tell the story of a guy who is really distinct. I think whenever you talk about somebody who has is who is as intentional as Jalen Hurts is, the the thing that goes along with intentionality is discipline. Because you can be intentional about all kinds of different things. You can have the intention of being um, of of improving this one aspect of your life, or you can be in, intentional about going and pursuing a master's degree when you've got so many other life pressures around you. But discipline. If you don't have discipline, all that intentionality goes out the window. As speaking from someone who has very little discipline in his life, I would like to make changes, and and sometimes it's very difficult. And I, I guess one of the one of the big takeaways that I I had from this story is that Jalen Hurts, as well as being maybe the most intentional superstar in, in sports, may be one of the most disciplined star in sports. Would that be a fair characterization? Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I don't I don't want to mischaracterize this, but. I think it's true. I've done a lot of these. Um, I've profiled, you know, Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers and Russell Wilson and Deshaun Watson and before everything. And, you know, I, I think that I don't want it to sound like I'm saying Jalen is Tom Brady. We, we obviously don't have any clue about that yet. But in terms of intentionality, of having a plan and following through with it, that's really who Jalen reminds me of. You know, I wrote the first uh, avocado ice cream story about Brady back in 2014. <laughs> and I remember him saying something when we were meeting about, you know, football. People say football doesn't define me, you know, and, and for him, it really did. You know, it was the singular focus of his year. It didn't mean that he didn't do other things. He did, definitely did a, a lot of different things. But Everything he did was intentional around preparing to throw footballs as best he could. And every time I do one of these profiles, usually the guy wants to tell you about the other stuff to, to show you they are more than a football player. And Jalen strikes me as very similar to Tom in that he's willing to say what's true. And that's that like you can be a lot of different things at once, but to be really great at that, to really optimize your ability in like probably the hardest position to play in American sports, you have to be singularly devoted to it. And there are degrees to that and levels to that. But I think, you know, doing everything you can, as long as it's not so much that it, um, you know, a discipline to the like the right amount of stuff, because I think you can easily tip over into over preparation or over analyzation or, you know, all the things that could could take intentionality and send them in the wrong direction. But having the right plan to start with and following through on it in a very smart, intentional way, like to me, I think it's really the blueprint for how to try to do this as best you can. And then then it'll still be levels. But it, that's really what he reminds me of. I thought it was one of the remarkable stories that you relate is that he went into the locker room after the Super Bowl and insisted that his teammates blame him for the loss. What do you think Hertz was trying to convey in that moment? Yeah, I love the question and I loved his answer to it. When I this this came up when I met with him in Philadelphia, it would have been May. I went down the day after the Emmys, um, and you know, I said, "This is what I heard." you know, is it true? And he said, yes. 
And then I said, come on, man, you don't really think you lost that game, right? Like you scored four touchdowns. You had a pretty obvious mistake, but I mean, that, those are going to happen. And the bounce was fluky. What are the chances he fumbles that ball to begin with? Then what are the chances that the, that Bolden, Nick Bolden picks it up, you know, in perfect stride. And then what are the chances there's no one between him and the end zone? Like, that kind of stuff just happens in a game like the NFL where the, the ball is oddly shaped, the players are very good, and it's just there are weird moments. And I thought his answer actually speaks to everything we're talking about because he didn't say, like, I felt like I lost the game. He didn't say that he felt like he needed to make amends even. Like, he did that specifically to send a message to the locker room that everyone has to be accountable that they all lost, but that he played a role, even though I think it's pretty safe to say he would have won MVP if that score is, you know, seven points different or five points. And, you know, I think what he was doing is showing people how to lead and showing people what he was made of. And that's tricky, I think, because I've dealt with and written about other quarterbacks like, say, Russell Wilson, who maybe if he did the exact same thing, it wouldn't be received the same way. It would maybe feel less than genuine mm. and not as authentic. And I think part of the trick to playing quarterback is to seem like you're a part of the locker room and also apart from it. And I think authenticity matters there. I think intention matters there. And more than anything, it's like, do those guys believe it? Are they receiving what he's trying to do in that moment? And I think certain guys pull that off better than others. And I think he pulled it off, you know, pretty much perfectly. Well, I think I know the answer to this question before I even ask it, but can you just describe what his relationship is like with his teammates, how how much he's respected? I mean, I think we have a sense and based on what you're saying, you know, it certainly sounds as though he's trying to foster that type of relationship. What do his teammates think about him? Yeah, you know, that's another thing that really blew my mind in my in my time with him. And, you know, I, I met with him in December. I talked to him before the Super Bowl. I saw him briefly afterward. And then, you know, I went to Oklahoma with him. And then I went to see him down in Philly. And so this is, you know, kind of from all those conversations. I can't remember exactly. But, you know, this is a guy who changed how he led and how dramatic that was over the course of time. You know, when he came in, there was another quarterback in front of him. You know, obviously, Carson Wentz had gotten a huge contract. Obviously, there were some health issues there. And, you know, he didn't really – Jalen wasn't the guy that we see now then. He didn't want to be. He wanted to, like, gain the trust of his teammates. He wanted to do that through the same thing we've been talking about, intentionality. And he wanted to build on it over time. So one thing that stood out to me, and I'm, I'm probably going to write this at some point this year, is he developed a really strong relationship with Jason Kelsey, kind of like mm -hmm. his older brother. And, you know, sort of, like, watched him and learned from him and was mentored by him in terms of how to lead that locker room. Then he started to tip the scales a little bit, you know, started to become involved more. You know, when Nick Sirianni came on, he obviously brought Brian Johnson with him. Brian played quarterback for Jalen's dad at, um, at in high school at Channel of the View in Houston. And, you know, there was a familiarity there. But once once he got to know Nick and Shane and Brian, you know, in the first year, then in the second year, he starts going to meetings. He's involved in game planning. He's suggesting plays that I'm told they actually used and that actually worked. But he did it in a way where he got the trust first. And there's a – Sean McVay and I have talked a lot about over the years the concept of, like, what comes first, vulnerability or trust. And I think the answer is probably vulnerability 
And I think that's what Jalen showed here is he was able to humble himself. He slid into the backup role and, you know, made the football improvements that he needed to when he, when he understood that he needed to be more of a leader, he did that, but he did it with a plan. He did it in an authentic way. And then when he thought he could really impact things, he did that too. And it, it wasn't like a willy nilly approach because he didn't tell Howie Roseman who to sign or trade for or let go. But he did say, I can imprint the games in a way that's helpful to everyone, and I can imprint the locker room the same way. So that's a super winding way to say, I, I think his teammates love him. And to me, that's why he's so identifiable to them is because he's able to straddle the line of like, you know, you've seen him really out there the last couple months. You know, obviously my, my piece has been in for a while, but it came out around the same time as the Jordan brand announcement, you know, the mm -hmm. Hulu sponsorship, all those kinds of things. And I think that um, he's done it all in a sequence where it just doesn't feel as maybe as obvious or as gross as it might if he hadn't done it with such intention. And starting from where he came from, like you mentioned, when he was drafted, it was in the second round. Carson Wentz was here. He was really drafted to be a backup quarterback. It was never he was he wasn't drafted with the intention that he would ever become the starter or the franchise quarterback with this team. And I think last year his his improved play surprised everyone. We thought he could develop into a good quarterback. I don't think anybody saw the superstar mega contract quarterback uh, in Jalen Hurts, but clearly this is something he had been working towards, and your story goes a long way in, in talking about uh, the different ways that Jalen Hurts has tried to get better each and every offseason. In what ways did has he been trying to get better this offseason? What areas did he feel like he needed to improve? You know, one thing I heard, and he, he sort of skipped this one when I asked him about it, so this is secondhand, but... <laughs> um, one thing I heard is that he's working on lower body rotation. Like they feel like last year and all this stuff I wrote about in the story about his work with Adam Dudeau and trying to find a balance between how clinical he is in personality and really letting his natural arm talent shine through in a way that it maybe necessarily hadn't before. And I think by adding in um, enhanced lower body rotation, it will make things pretty scary for Eagles opponents because that will help his accuracy. It will help his accuracy in particular on deep throws because it's more of a natural turn into the ball. And I think it will help him, you know, sort of throw what, what they would describe as a cleaner ball, you know, mm -hmm. something that's a little bit easier to catch in a lot of instances, not that he had an issue with it. And so, you know, these are like 1% improvements. But to me, that's where the best quarterbacks in pro football separate themselves. A little bit here, a little bit there. And then the rest of it is what's around you, who's around you. And, you know, what happens in the moments, there are probably 10 or 20 in every season that really matter. And I would say that other than the fact they lost the Super Bowl and were that close to winning, I think it's hard to pick against them coming up in the season. That was going to be one of my last questions to you here. Uh, <laughs> see where the Eagles are going here in 2023. I'll ask you one more question about Hurts before I get to that, and that is he, he's called, I think his brother gave him the nickname the robot, right? That he's Everything he yeah. does, he's just got a plan for everything, and everything's kind of scripted. And, and when you do what I do, having everything scripted out is is not good. It doesn't make for a, a pleasant listening experience for, for the for the person listening to the podcast. But uh, for what Jalen Hurts is doing, it, it, it obviously helps him to have everything kind of scripted out. Whenever, when your life is scripted out, 
do you have does he have to script in fun like does Jalen Hurts have fun does he have a good time like is he able to kind of get outside the 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 rigors of the these patterns that he sets up for himself to allow himself the the ability to just kind of have some fun you know my understanding is that he does but I cannot tell you that I know that from personal <laughs> okay. experience you know he's our interactions have been fairly clinical um I I think seeing him even in a setting like his graduation at Oklahoma you know, it wasn't like they were popping bottles and dancing on the stage. You know, and, it and was very. Let me, for, let me interrupt you. For, for people who didn't read the story yet, not, not graduation for his undergraduate. This is for his master's yeah. that he's been pursuing as he's been developing his NFL football skills these last few years. I just want people to understand that. No, it is an important point, you know, but my understanding is that he's funny. Uh, I haven't gotten that a lot. In fact, AJ <laughs> Brown, the first time I went out to Philly was like, if you get him to smile, I'd be surprised. Uh, I have been able to do that. So there you go, AJ. But, uh, <laughs> you know, my understanding is he makes a mean crawfish boil uh, that he loves sitting around with the fellas and chopping it up. He's obviously in a long term relationship. And uh, I wouldn't say like that the robotic nature necessarily caps him at like only being about football. He just knows that's the single dominant driving force. But mm -hmm. He's very close with his mom. He's very close with his dad. It seems like he has great relationships with his siblings. When I was with him at Oklahoma, his sister was going to prom the next day, and that was kind of a fun window. You know, he's sitting on the couch with Brent Venables, the coach, and Bree Burroughs, his girlfriend. And Brent was kind of teasing him, like, you know, what are you going to do about the your sister going to prom? This guy almost just won NFL MVP in the Super Bowl, and he finished second MVP voting. And Jalen like rolled his eyes and like was real human for a moment. <laughs> like, uh, and Bree was like, don't even start, you know, essentially something in that vein. And I was thinking, okay, so, you know, he's also intentional about being able to show different sides of himself to people based on what he wants, which I think, mm. you know, for me personally is almost impossible. And, yeah. uh, I mean, I guess like, yeah, the, the baseline of all that is like, how many human beings have that much self awareness, let yeah. alone, 24 year olds like i don't think most people i know could see themselves that way in mm -hmm. a in a way that's critical and yet um strategic at the same time i think it's pretty unique and i think it'll be interesting to see like when things don't go well you know like say there he, he did not enjoy rehabbing that injury last december he wanted mm -hmm. to play in what, he missed the, the week after Chicago. He wanted to play the next week. And yeah. I don't know if this, if this got cut out of the story or not, but he went to the training staff and said, would I be stupid to play this week? And they said, yeah, but <laughs> we appreciate where you're coming from. And, yeah. you know, th this is a league in which there are plenty of seasons like the one he just put together, which was undoubtedly special and significant. But, you know, there will be times when A.J. Brown gets hurt or Devontae Smith does or – any number of things will happen. And when you have your plan so detailed and it doesn't work out, how do you adjust? Now, the flip side to that for me is that's what happened to him at Alabama and he adjusted just fine. So there's yeah. no really no reason to think that he won't be able to do it at the NFL level. But if I'm looking for cracks in what appears to be a really strong season ahead, it would be that teams that lose the Super Bowl generally have an emotional heft uh, to their next season and that everything went right last year except for his injury in december and you can't say that'll happen again
Yeah, no, for sure. There were certainly a lot of things. They they had all 22 starters healthy for that NFC Championship game and the Super Bowl. So, I mean, that's just not going to happen again. And, and everybody kind of knows that. But hopefully the roster is deep enough to sustain to sustain that. Everybody's worried about the backup quarterback right now, though. Marcus Mariota is looking pretty shaky. And I'm not ready to turn the keys over to a six-round rookie uh, if Jalen Hurts gets hurt. So um, there's some there's some work to be done there if, if the worst-case scenario with Hurts happens. That all being said, I think you just kind of touched on it a little bit. Um, your thoughts on the Eagles 2023 season real quick, you know, how do you see things uh, mapping out for them? Yeah. You know, a couple of things I'd say, uh, the first is I picked them to win the Super Bowl a few months ago, uh, between that and putting Jalen on our cover. I'm very, very unpopular these days in Philadelphia, <laughs> no yeah. cheesesteaks for me anytime soon. <laughs> and I, but I think that there are two factors that, that, that I think are really in play here. Health is one and you hit on it. I mean, this is a franchise that is used and deployed and signed backup quarterbacks better than any in the NFL this century, in my opinion. You know, they, they learned their lesson the hard way in the McNabb-TO era. And since then, they have had so many guys step in and play incredibly well. And I'm thinking, you know, Nick Foles comes to mind, you know, mm -hmm. Jalen comes to mind. But there's more than that. You know, Ke Kevin Cobb gave them some big games, you know, like, and I think, I think they're maybe not as prepared in a position where Howie Roseman has stated to me and to others many times that, you know, this is a back of quarterbacks as important as some of the starting positions on an NFL football team. Now, do I think Jalen get hurt? I don't know. But to me, that would be a concern. They had a pretty good backup last year, I thought, and he did yeah. not play well with the same offensive weapons as Jalen when he went in in December. And so um, I haven't, I haven't followed the Mariota training camp stuff. It struck me at the time as a good signing, but then I watched QB on Netflix and maybe not. <laughs> um, and I think there's always going to be that risk. There's like four or five guys on every team where if you lose them, you just don't know what's going to happen and nobody more important than that backup. And then yeah. the other thing to me is I don't see any reason not to pick them to win the whole thing personally, except for, Teams just seem to struggle when they lose a game like that. I mean, yeah. that was a team that was inches away in multiple instances from winning. And they did it with a quarterback who was way more injured than he let on, who was having a Jordan flu kind of game. Mm -hmm. And I think that there's just something to be said for that. I have to submit my preseason MMQB picks by next Tuesday, and I just am waiting because you know, part of me wants to go against what I wrote two months ago or three months ago. And it's just, <laughs> you know, how do you bet against Pat knowing that they have the emotional heft of this or, you know, yeah. the Bengals, for instance, or the Bills, if they can stop sniping. I mean, I just think, uh, to me, when I look at it on paper, I think the Eagles are clearly a cut above every other team. And I think they were last year, too. They dominated the entire regular season and their playoff run until the last game. Yeah. And then they got beat by a quarterback who's, you know, going to go down as one of the best athletes ever to play a sport. And I just think that there's something about it that gives me pause, you know. So I guess I'd yeah. still pick them, but I feel a little bit less steady over time. I mean, the odds are probably against it. I mean, that's just the way it goes. You, you play this season out a thousand times, and yeah, I think you're right. But um, if you're just based, going based on the evidence we have right now, uh, it seems hard to pick, at least in the NFC, another team to, to outlast the, the Eagles, at least to get to the Super Bowl. If you haven't read the story, make sure that you do that. Go pick up a copy of Sports Illustrated, and you can get Greg Bishop's uh, cover story on Jalen Hurts. It's really a fascinating read into Jalen's mind. Uh, you can also follow Greg 
on Twitter at Greg Bishop SI. Greg, thanks for coming back on Eye on the Enemy. I really appreciate it. Anytime, John. Thank you for having me. All right, well, let's get to some Eagles news and notes. Jonathan Taylor was in Philadelphia this week for their preseason game against the Colts, the third and final preseason game of the season, which, of course, the Eagles lost. The Eagles always lose in preseason, and we just do not care. But a lot of the conversation has been about their star running back and the trade talks and the fact that in some NFL circles, and I I haven't seen any reports from anybody legit just yet, but that the Eagles are reportedly among the teams interested and talking to the Colts about their star running back, Jonathan Taylor. Now, for my money, this doesn't make any sense at all. Um, While he did lead the NFL in rushing two yards ago, 1,811 yards, he played in only 11 games last year, rushed for 861. His yards per carry dropped from five and a half to four and a half. Now, that's not a big deal. Four and a half yards per carry is still very, very good. He's entering just his fourth season in the NFL, so he's still very young. And the Colts are, I think, competing with the Cardinals in a race to the bottom of the NFL this year, trying to get rid of players and put as bad a team on the field as they can can possibly muster. I just don't buy that the Eagles are aggressively going after Jonathan Taylor. I know that Howie Roseman does like to go out and get star players. And I suppose if if Taylor is somebody that will put them over the top, then maybe they should be able to go and do that. But I I really kind of like the running back room that Howie Roseman assembled. And part of Howie's genius is that he doesn't overspend at the running back position. He doesn't want to invest that kind of money in players who who are fragile, who play a position where they tend to get hurt a little bit more. They've gone out this offseason, and they've totally revamped the running back room. DeAndre Swift, they made a big tra- draft day trade. They're not getting rid of him. Rashad Penny came aboard. Um, they're, they're not getting rid of him. You, you've got um, Kenny Gainwell, who they really like. Do they do they want to put Kenny Gainwell back on the shelf? And, you know, Boston Scott is Boston Scott. But that's a pretty good running back room. That's a running back room that I think can get to 1,500 yards rushing this year. And the Eagles like to rotate running backs in and out of the lineup. They like to give defenses different looks. And when you've got Jalen Hurts as a running quarterback, I don't, I just, what do you do with all the other running backs that you've acquired? I mean, I guess if you're trading for Jonathan Taylor, you're probably moving Rashad Penny in a trade, or maybe you're you're moving Kenny Gainwell in a trade there. I just, it it seems like a waste of resources. And the Eagles don't have gobs of room under the salary cap. And there are other positions on the team that they might want to strengthen themselves a little bit more than running back, where they're pretty deep. And I know a lot of the Eagles running backs, the guys that they've acquired, have had injury histories, specifically uh, DeAndre Swift and Rashad Penny. But I, I Jonathan Taylor, certainly, if this was a, a weak spot on the team, I would be all for it. Uh, the, the, it was reported the Colts won a first-round pick. There, there's no way the Eagles or anybody else is giving up a first-round pick for a running back. It's just that's not the world we're living in here. If Roseman can swing it for a, a third-rounder or something like that, then I guess I'd do it, and you figure out the running back situation. But do I think adding Taylor is a monumental step up over what the Eagles already have? I do not. I like Taylor, and if the Eagles pull off a trade for Jonathan Taylor, I would be fine with it. And it would be an exciting move, I I suppose. But at the same time, then you wonder, well, what is this? How does this let you address other positions if as the season rolls along? And does it, um, you know, what does it do for Jalen Hurts? I mean, maybe bringing Jonathan Taylor in means that Jalen Hurts doesn't have to run quite as much. Maybe, maybe the threat of Jalen Hurts as a runner 
puts, you know, uh, uh, Jonathan Taylor over 2,000 rushing yards this year. I mean, I, I don't, maybe that's what we're thinking here. I just don't know what you do with all these other running backs that you got this offseason, and you're probably going to have to sign him to some kind of a long-term contract here. And the Eagles, they don't want to tie up their salary cap to a running back like that. So it just, this deal, the idea of Jonathan Taylor sounds good, but there's a lot of ways in, in which both from a roster standpoint and from a salary cap standpoint, logistically, it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And frankly, what the Eagles, the position the Eagles really should be looking to upgrade is the punter position. They need to be keeping an eye on the waiver wire to see what punters who are in competitions with other teams get cut because Aaron Sipas is not going to is not going to be the guy this year. He's had a very rough uh, uh, summer. Uh, he he did beat out Ty Zetner, who was awful in the preseason games in which he appeared. But they the Eagles cannot go into this season with a black hole at punter. I mean, like we talked about on the last podcast, punting is still a part of this game that you need to get right. And as we saw in the Super Bowl, it will burn you. I would rather the Eagles be focusing their attention on trying to get another putter than swinging a trade for Jonathan Taylor. So I don't think this is something that's going to happen. It's not something I think should happen. If it does, great. We'll talk about it. We'll get excited about it because Jonathan Taylor is a special talent. Two years ago, he was the best player in the NFL, probably. You know, you could make the argument that he was the best player in the NFL. He was so dynamic for the Colts. He made Carson Wentz look like a potential playoff quarterback. But he's just, I don't think it's a fit. The situation to me, it does not seem like a fit for the Eagles to go out and get Jonathan Taylor. I thought it was interesting that in an article on NFL.com, they were talking about possible cuts. And the first name on their list, Eagles backup quarterback Marcus Mariota, noting that his play this offseason, as we've talked about this summer, has not been good. He has not looked very good. But I don't... Without somebody else ready to come in, I don't think the Eagles are cutting Marcus Mariota. Uh, they're not giving the job to Tanner McKee. The, Tanner McKee is not going to be the backup quarterback this year. Third string, great. But we talked about this on the last podcast as well. I've kind of set my flag in the ground for Matt Ryan. I think Matt Ryan would be a perfect fit for this offense. Uh, Trey Lance is certainly a name Somebody, the 49ers gave up a ton of draft capital, and again, the Eagles were involved in, in that trade, to go up and get Trey Lance very early in the draft, and he has washed out of San Francisco. He's been hurt. When he has played, he hasn't looked good. I remember talking to Rob Stats Guerrera earlier this offseason, and there was concern that Trey Lance's mechanics are apparently so bad that he has to he has to take a day off from throwing when he's had when he's been throwing really hard on a particular day. And that's just not something that NFL quarterbacks have to do. NFL quarterbacks can just throw. And if your arm is getting sore after a day of heavy throwing, you're doing something wrong. Theoretically, Trey Lance is talented and the 49ers are going to try to trade him, but they're not going to find a trade partner for Trey Lance. And I don't that's that's not an that's not a solution to your backup quarterback problem, in my view. Why would the Eagles bring in more uncertainty to the table? You want a backup quarterback. And the Eagles understand more than any team in the NFL the importance of a backup quarterback. Why would you bring in damaged goods? Even if he's young, even if there is talent there. I mean, you want to develop Trey Lance, you want to bring him in as your third stringer. If you've got an established backup already, that makes sense to me. Yeah, see what you got. See what happens. Maybe maybe this maybe this coaching staff can develop this quarterback. But the 49ers coaching staff is pretty sharp. They're a pretty smart group of guys over there. 
you know, are they the QB whispers? <laughs> Probably not, but you know, let's be honest. Neither are the Eagles, really. I mean, they Jalen Hurts, as we're gonna, as we just heard, you know, certainly his his improvement is meteoric, and um, I, I guess you have to give the Eagles credit for that, just like you give Jalen Hurts credit for his his own success and his own improvement. But I, I Trey Lance is not is not Jalen Hurts, and that's just that's not an avenue I'm going down either. I want to bring in good, solid football players. You want to know why the Eagles? are maybe the most talented team in the NFL. It's because they have gone out of their way to bring in talented football players, not projects, not rejects. You know, they're they're certainly going out and they're identifying players who maybe have missed games due to injury, but when they have been on the field, have been effective, or they do certain things really, really well. Like DeAndre Swift is a is is a very good receiver out of the backfield. He may not be the best between the tackles runner. But he's he gives you a dimension that some of the other running backs don't give, and that's what the Eagles are doing. They're they're building these pieces that you create a successful roster around. Trey Lance is just not one of those guys. So I do think that Marcus Mar- Mariota could be cut, but they better they better have their other backup lined up. You know, they better be on the phone with Matt Ryan or whoever else. If it's going to be Joe Flacco, which is not as not as good an option to me. But somebody like that, you know, a veteran who's been there before, who can still throw the rock for two or three games if Jalen Hurts goes down, then I would I could see Marcus Mariota being cut. But I, I don't see that happening. And I don't think the Eagles are there. I think the Eagles are okay entering the season with Mariota as the backup quarterback. At least that's the indication. Mariota played one, one series in the final preseason game, which I thought was interesting. I would have thought he would have played just a little bit more so they could get a better look at him. But... I guess they've seen enough one way or the other. They've seen enough one way or the other. That much is is pretty clear. And um, the other thing I wanted to mention is what is Jonathan Gannon's Arizona Cardinals doing? They sent former first-round pick Isaiah Simmons to the Giants for a seventh-round pick, and then they sent offensive tackle Josh Jones and a 2024 seventh-rounder to the Houston Texans in exchange for a fifth-rounder. Now, Simmons is not a star, but he's decent. And for a seventh round pick, that's a steal for the Giants. Now, is he a pro bowler? No, it's not like the Giants cutting James Bradbury and the Eagles getting a potential pro bowl caliber player. That's not Isaiah Simmons, although Simmons will be the first to tell you that the Cardinals haven't used him properly. They haven't figured out exactly where they want him to play. They had him at linebacker and safety and cornerback. They had him playing all kinds of different positions. And he went in and told Jonathan Gannon this offseason that he didn't want to be shuttled around like that. He, He didn't want to play linebacker specifically. And it seemed as though Gannon was happy with Simmons' performances, at least from some of the quotes in the Arizona media. But he gets shipped off to the Giants for a seventh-round pick. I mean, that's just that's nothing. It's giving a player away, and and not a not a black hole player, not a player like Jalen Rager who would actively hurt you on the field on game day. Simmons can do some things. He's 25 years old. He's never missed a game in his NFL career. Over three seasons, he has 258 tackles, seven and a half sacks, seven forced fumbles, two fumble recoveries, and four interceptions. That's production. He lined up in the slot 45.5% of this team's defensive snaps last year. He played down in the box for a majority of his other snaps. Um, he saw some snaps at free safety and a cornerback. 
this will fit in, I think, pretty well with what uh, Wink Martindale wants to do. Um, he likes to play a lot of man coverage, and so I think you're going to see Simmons play a lot of safety and play a lot of cornerback. Um and having him play in space, I don't think you're going to see him down in the box. And that's pretty much, that's probably where Isaiah, Isaiah Simmons needs to play. So the Cardinals gave a division rival, a playoff team from last year, a free defensive player. Like this, this is the kind of move that smacks of Howie Roseman, right? This is the kind of deal that Roseman pulls off. And you wonder, how did Roseman get them to give him that player for that price? Like we've seen Howie Roseman make that kind of play. So yeah, not awesome that Jonathan Gannon gave away a decent player, maybe not a good player or a great player, but a decent player to a division rival for absolutely nothing. All right, everybody, that's going to do it for this edition of Eye on the Enemy. I want to remind you to check out all of our great podcasts here on the Bleeding Green Nation podcast feed. We are, of course, getting you ready for the regular season, all these different recaps from training camp and the preseason games, and uh, now we wait and see how the roster shakes out, whether or not the Eagles are going to make any moves between now and the start of the regular season. So uh, follow us there on Apple Podcasts, uh, Spotify, wherever it is you get your podcasts. And I would love if you would leave a five-star rating and a review specifically for the Eye on the Enemy podcast over at Pop Apple Podcasts. Let me know what you think about the show. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. We'll talk to you next time right here on Eye on the Enemy. 